So today's sermon is called Jesus is King. Um, so this past week, you guys know, was election week, and uh, there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to talk about. And I want to share about my first time voting. It was, I don't remember the year, a couple years ago, and I knew nothing about uh, politics. Um, and so I went into the polling booth. I, I forgot how I signed in and everything, but I read these propositions and names. I'm like, what do these things mean? What's Republican? What's a Democrat? And so in order to be fair, I voted for a Democrat on one question. And the next question, I voted Republican because, you know, you got to be fair to both sides. And then I was like, who is this person? What are they running for? And it was two names. And I had no idea who they were. It was like, let's, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember the name, but I voted based on like, oh, this person's name is Josh. I have a friend named Josh. Okay. I'll go with that person. And so it's like these random, like weird ways of voting. And so I really didn't know what I was doing when I first walked into a voting poll. And so I understand for you guys, if you feel a little lost, I know for uh, actually a handful of you guys, you guys know what's going on. You keep up with it and you're very informed. But if you're like me growing up, I just really didn't care. And um, I guess the first question is why should we care about politics? Why should we care about what goes on up there with the nation's leaders? Uh, why should we care? Let me give you an example. Let's imagine uh, you walk to school every day and before you enter the school campus, you always encounter your school bully. Let's call him Trevor because Trevor uh, is a stereotypical name for a bully. And he uh, threatens you and he says, give me your lunch money. And out of fear, you give him your lunch money. And this happens every day uh, for, uh, I guess, the whole year. Until finally you tell your friends, what should I do? Trevor keeps making fun of me. I don't want to give away my lunch money. I want to buy uh, the pizza during lunch. And they say, maybe you should tell the teacher or, or the principal. And you say, okay, maybe, maybe I will. And so you tell the principal and the principal says, you know what, I hear you, but we just don't have the funding to put another security guard near the school gate. And what do you do? So in determining to change that funding, you uh, rally parents and you make a petition and you bring up to the school district who makes a motion to increase funding to the security guards and safety and protection. Uh, there's a lot of meetings, there's a lot of paperwork, uh, there's a lot of everything, but it's worth it because we don't want bullies to threaten people um, every day. We want people to be able to go to school and um, pay for their lunch with their lunch money. And so it matters, all these meetings and communication and school board and talking to the principal, it matters because uh, your life matters, your lunch money matters. And we have to go through the tried and true ways of changing that, which is through the school board, through the principal, things like that. And so we should care about uh, politics and policies and things like that because uh, we're trying to protect human life because human lives matter, unborn lives matter, black lives matter, blue lives matter. Every human being that is made in the image of God matter. And so the government exists to punish evil and to reward good as we see in Romans 13. And so that's why we should care about what goes on out there. It affects human life, just as uh, that school bully would affect your life or my life. So here's my question today. 
how should I respond to the election and to all the political tension? I don't know who's going to be elected. How will the new presidents affect life? Will women be able to get abortion right until the moment of birth, effectively killing a human? Will a boy be able to identify as a girl and enter a girl's locker room? Or will a boy who identifies as a girl be able to join a woman's sports team? Will a church lose their nonprofit status because they hold to the religious belief? Or would Christian colleges lose funding for students because they uphold a biblical sexuality? These affect schools like Biola, CBU, APU, colleges that uh, some of Unicor students in the past have applied to and have attended. Actually, I attended APU. So these potential realities, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And so what's going to happen in the next five or 10 years? And so my sermon preview today um, is centered around one, uh, one phrase that Jesus is king. And there are two, two main things I want to draw from that, that Jesus is king, therefore, yada, yada, yada. And uh, Jesus is king, therefore, yada, yada, yada. I want to emphasize this in two major points. Today's sermon is going to be topical, which means I'm not going to focus on one passage, but I'm going to jump around to different passages. And so um, our first passage, if you have your Bibles, is in Psalm 2. Psalm 2. So please take out your paper Bibles, electronic Bibles, whatever you have, and turn to Psalm 2. We're going to find out first what we can learn. Um, the first therefore from Jesus is King. So I'll give you a couple seconds to turn there. And I'll turn there as well in my paper Bible. Okay, if you're there because you're in Bible drill and you know where Psalm 2 is or because it's in the middle of the Bible, uh, this is our first therefore. It's this, that Jesus is king. Therefore, nothing can threaten his rule and will. Let's read from verses one to about verses six. I'll read it for us right now. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Then he'll speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have sent my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And so I'm going to have it up here just in case. I just want us to have our paper Bibles open. But I want us to see that we have two parties in play. One party is consists of the nations, the nations. Uh, actually, I don't like that ink. It's hard to see. Nations is part of the first party and peoples and kings and rulers. This is the first party that we are seeing. And these people are plotting against the Lord. It doesn't distinguish which nations. It just simply says all the nations rage against God and his anointed. So every nation on earth, government or ruler is called to worship God, but instead they have their own personal agenda. And this includes America as well. America is not exempt from this. 
God's chosen people is not Americans. It is the church, the elect, the disciples. So America, along with every other nation, is guilty and opposes God. And they say things like, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us, which is simply to say, we don't want to be bound by the rule of the Lord. We don't want these cords or his rules or commands to restrict us. And so these pagan rulers rebel against this divine authority. And they're ultimately going against God and his anointed. This is the most important thing. The term anointed, as you see right here, it can mean Messiah when you transliterate that in the Hebrew, or it can mean the Christ when you translate it uh, into the Greek. Um, and so we know that there were Davidic kings in the Old Testament, like David or Solomon, but this is actually foreshadowing a future king from the line of David, which is King Jesus. And we're going to go, uh, we're going to go into that more later. But as these nations and kings plot against the Lord, I want us to see how God is responding. God simply is in heaven laughing. The Lord is laughing. The Lord is laughing from his throne when he sees these nations plot against him. He is not threatened by the slightest, uh, by the plans of kings and presidents and rulers and prime ministers. He is scoffing from his heavenly throne. You know, sometimes I have an ant problem in my apartment. It's gone now, but uh, when they would come out, uh, I would be joyful. <laughs> I would see one ant crawling on maybe my computer screen or on my desk. And I would happily think to myself, okay, like, how are we gonna have fun with you today? And in an instant, I joyfully crushed that ant with my thumb. It's not even a fair fight. I'm a human and that's an ant. And so these ants, as much as they try to steal my food that I leave out overnight, or they try to crawl my computer screen, there's nothing they can do. After all, how can an ant measure up to a human being as maybe mean as that sounds? And so when God looks down on earth, he's not threatened by the powers that be, by the leaders or kings or presidents. To God, they are like ants to an all-powerful God. God is not staying up at night wondering, oh my gosh, this person was just elected president. This is going to ruin my plan. Quick, we have to do something. That is not what God is doing at all. God is laughing from his throne. Whoever is president, God is still on the throne. Jesus is still king. Now, why is God so comfortable on his throne? Well, look at verses five to seven. It's because Jesus, instead of being afraid of earthly kings, for him, he has set his own king on Zion, his holy hill. This is why Jesus is laughing. He has an ace up his sleeve, his secret weapon, which is Jesus Christ. That word set right here, um, the verb is associated with installing leaders into office, like the president of the United States or the ASB president. On a higher and infinite divine level, God, God has installed Jesus as king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. All other kings on earth are lowercase k. They do not uh, compare at all uh, to Jesus, our king. And so verse 7 right here is very important. It's used a lot in the New Testament. Uh, there's a verse in Acts that uses it specifically to refer to Jesus. I don't have this on my PowerPoint, so why don't you uh, uh, keep a finger in Psalm 2, but turn to Acts chapter 13. I want to show you something from Acts 
uh, chapter 13. You are fast forwarding a couple hundred years to the New Testaments as you're turning there. And so this is after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we have Paul and Barnabas who are going on a missionary journey to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so they arrive at a synagogue to teach the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And he specifically cites um, Psalm 2. So if you are in Acts 13, look with me at verse 26. It says this in verse 26. Brothers, son of the family of Abraham, he's talking to Jews, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed, meaning Jesus. Verse 29, and when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. We just read that. Jump to verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is, for, is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed, the law of Moses. So it's saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of salvation. And it's referencing Psalm 2. Now look how everyone responds in verse 42. Verse 42, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Look at verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So Jesus is king. God is laughing on his throne because he is not threatened in response to the human kings and their policies on earth. Even though they plot against God and his commands, God knows that his ace up his sleeve is Jesus. That he, one day he would send King Jesus to die for the sins of the world. That his enemies, including these kings, might have forgiveness of sins. It's incredible. This is why nothing can threaten the rule and will of Jesus. Here's a couple of applications I think that we can draw from this. Um, number one is this. Be at peace. Jesus is king. In other words, it's going to be okay. Don't get me wrong. I am nervous for the future of America and the world. What will become of the issues that I mentioned earlier? The last couple of days, I found myself repeatedly checking Google, the election results, wondering why Nevada is not uh, updating their results. What is going on? And I usually, I didn't expect myself to be so glued to the screen and just wondering 
what's going to happen? And before I knew it, I, I'm, I was spending so much time focused on the results of the election that that's all that mattered in that moment in my life, that I had forgotten that Jesus was king. And I need to remind myself, and hopefully you guys can remind yourself as well, that whoever is elected, that the plan and will of Jesus cannot be stopped. Whatever plans or policies that will be implemented, Jesus still plans to save his elect. He still plans to use Christians to save souls and to make disciples. He still plans to return in the future in glory with his angels and his armies to judge all of humanity. He still plans to create a new heavens and a new earth for his children. He still plans to wipe away all tears and to make all things new. The plans of God will come to pass. To think that human kings and presidents can stop the plan of God, it's like thinking that an ant can lift a monster truck. Ants are strong. They can lift things several times their weights, but they cannot lift a monster truck, an F-150, anything. So whatever the plans of man that we see, it cannot stop the plans of God. This is why God is not threatened and he is laughing from his throne. Whatever anxieties, we can be at peace. Secondly, though, we're not just supposed to sit on our couch, but secondly, we are to get to work. The world needs to hear the saving news of the king. That's because we know Jesus is king. It does not give us permission to sit on our couch and to just say, everything's going to be okay. No, look at the, the life of Paul and Barnabas. When they saw that Jesus was king, they did not just stay on their couch, but they went out to the ends of the earth to make disciples. They did not care who is emperor, who is Caesar, what city they visited. They simply had the goal to share the news of the gospel. So it doesn't matter who is in charge. We have work to do. As a Christian, you are a herald of the king. You are a messenger for the king. It's not your job to change hearts. It's your job to be a mailman, to deliver the good news. All right, leave the results up to God. Now, here's an issue. If we just went around saying, Jesus is king, don't worry. That can come off as a little tone deaf, don't you think? With all the racism in the world, all the injustices and the sex trafficking and abuse of power. If we just say Jesus is king, that can seem a little uh, insensitive. It's true, but it doesn't take into account what's actually happening right now. Going back to the uh, example in the beginning, when I talked about the school bully, imagine if uh, you got bullied for your lunch money every day. And I just told you, you know what? It's okay. You're going to graduate in two years. You'll never see that bully again. Yes, that's true. You will graduate in two years or however long it is, but you're also hurting right now. You are under the threat of your life for your lunch money right now. And so Christians are called not only to remember the truth that Jesus is king and one day he will judge the earth, but we are called to uphold justice and peace right now as citizens on earth. We cannot simply look at the evil in the world, turn a blind eye and say, Jesus is king. All right, I'm gonna go back to do my homework because Jesus is king. That's not how it works. We are citizens of heaven, but we still have a role to play on earth. We are not to be passive. And so we have to understand what to do uh, when we understand the role of government. 
So I want to talk about that a little bit because that's going to inform us. So turn now to Romans 13. Turn to Romans 13. And this is going to lead us into our second point, our second therefore. But turn to Romans 13. Okay, I'm going to assume you guys are there. I'm going to read Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. It says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So our second point here is this, that Jesus is king, therefore he establishes earthly government to uphold justice and peace. And I have it, uh, the verse up here. And so there are a couple of things I want us to understand from this passage. Number one is that a government's authority comes from God. You see it right here, for there's no authority except from God. And those that exist, including the United States uh, government, is from God. I know uh, we might think it's government, they draw their power from the rights of the consent. But in reality, in a bigger picture, government and authority, they draw their authority from God. And so even other everyday things like teachers and parents and police officers, they draw their authority from God. And so even if a government is pagan, like the Roman uh, government uh, back in the original context of Romans, or whether it's another government in today's day and age, God still uses and appoints pagan and God opposing governments, whether they believe it or not. That's the first thing. The second thing is that a government's duty is to punish evil and to reward good. You see here in verse three that rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. This means that rulers and governments exist to punish evil, but also to reward good. That what you do, then do what is good and you receive his approval. So law and government, it's meant to punish murderers and put them in prison, to punish people who drink and drive. But it's also supposed to reward good. If you don't get a ticket or you don't get into a car accident, your insurance rates will be low. If you work hard in school, it increases your chances of being admitted into the college of your choice. That's not like the federal law, but it's the laws that institutions and colleges adhere by. That authority, it's meant to punish evil and reward good. And because of this, 
A citizen's duty is to be subject to God's established government. You see that right here. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities in verse five. Therefore, one must be in subjection to the government authorities. So whether taxes are high, we are called to honor and respect the authority and government God has appointed. Now, I'm not going to go on this rabbit trail, but there is a place for civil disobedience, meaning there is a place to disobey the government uh, if they specifically ask you to dishonor God. And you see that in stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refuse to bow down, but I'm not going to get into that today. And so we have to understand now that government is, is established by God to punish evil and reward good. Therefore, we should submit to government. However, we also have a duty and a command from God. And we're going to see that. So in your Bibles, now turn to Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. And we're going to see what God commands of his people. Micah is a little harder to find, but it's in the later half of the Old Testament. Micah 6, 8 says this. He has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? You know, this verse is actually written on an arch in the Congressional Library in Washington. Uh, in fact, politicians, they quote this verse a lot. Um, and this verse is often seen as a summary of the whole law given by God. And so for context, God is speaking to Israel, his people, through Micah. And God uh, is not interested in outward ritual sacrifice. What he wants is a changed life with change actions and change attitudes. And so this is why the Lord requires you to love, uh, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Going through it one by one, the first one is to do justice. God commands his people to act justly. It just doesn't mean you have the right view of what's right or wrong to know certain things as ethical or unethical, God honoring or God opposing for Micah and for God, you actually have to practice it for yourself. It's not just talking about justice, but to practice it in your own life. Second, it's also to love kindness. This word is associated with uh, the word has said, which means faithful covenant love. So think of roots loyalty to Naomi that is said or mercy or loyalty. Or think of God's covenant to Israel. Um, it is loyalty to his people, even though they uh, abandon him, reject him, and complain to him in the wilderness. Okay? And thirdly, God calls his people to walk humbly. The word humbly, actually in the original Hebrew, it could be better translated as carefully. So you could read it as walk carefully with your God. Do not treat God as just someone in the background, to walk carefully with God, to not take your relationship with God as a light thing. 
that our worship and our relationship with God is important. It's the most important thing about us. And so Micah and ultimately God, he wants people to live a changed life. If people truly loved one another and loved God, this is what would change society, not just good laws, as important as that is. And so going back to the example of the school bully from the beginning, let's say you're being bullied or I was being bullied. It is good to say something like, you know what, you're going to graduate in a couple of years. You'll never see them again. That's true. That is a good sign. But right now it is also good to help your friend to walk with them to school, to walk with them and talk to the principal's office. And I say that because right now when we see these injustices in earth, on earth in this world, it is good to say that Jesus is king. It is good to remember that one day Jesus will create a new heavens and a new earth. But we also cannot remember or we could not forget to uphold justice right now on earth. We fight for those who do not have a voice. How can we do that as students? We can't vote. Well, here are my two applications uh, for you guys. First one is a rock. <laughs> don't live on a rock. Don't be like me and go into a poll, polling booth and not know <laughs> what to vote for. You can do a lot of things. You can learn, read the election ballots. You can do that as a student. You don't, you don't have to be 18 years old. Read the, the propositions. They're actually very detailed and they get mailed to your house. Read websites and learn what um, a Republican and Democrat are. I needed to know that. <laughs> Read your social media posts that your friends post. Even if you don't agree, it's important to know the other side. Read articles written by Christians about social issues like abortion and uh, racism and things like that. Uh, I love reading uh, articles from the website, thegospelcoalition.org. Uh, listen to podcasts. There's a really good one uh, called The Briefing by Al Mohler. Every day he talks about uh, current issues and it's really informative. If you feel like it's too like above, like you're, uh, you just can't understand it. He breaks it down for you. At least he does for me. So there's a lot of things you can do as youth, even though you might not be able to vote. So don't live on a rock. Don't be like me. Learn. Second is slip a rock in their shoe. Engage. Maybe you've heard this metaphor before, but have you ever found a very tiny pebble in your shoe. It didn't really affect your walking. You can still get from point A to point B, but over time it would get super, super annoying. And pretty much, pretty soon you had to bend down, take off your shoe and take the rock out. Now I use that metaphor because in your conversations with people, you should be respectful, but you should be able to slip a rock in their shoe. If they believe that women should have the right to uh, abort their babies. You don't have to yell at them and condemn them, but respectfully have a conversation. Slip a rock in their shoe. Ask, do you believe a fetus is a human life? Ask things like that, because if they do, then abortion is murdering a human life because that is a human life in the womb. Biology affirms that, even though politicians may not. Kind of interesting. So can you have respectful conversations with your friends, your friends who may support the LGBTQ plus agenda. But we have to do that respectfully because you don't know their story. Maybe they support that because they struggle with same-sex attraction. And as Christians, we should not condemn them. We should love them. We should hear their story. 
And we should know that it is the love of God that changes hearts, not angry conversations. Can you be curious about their worldview without agreeing? You don't have to affirm what they believe, but can you be curious? Why do they believe what they believe? And can you be truthful? Can you be truthful even if it hurts your side? Let's say you like a certain uh, political party. If we are people of truth, are you willing to admit the own weaknesses about your own political party? If not, then that's just arrogance. That's not, that's not humility. But in order to have meaningful conversations that contribute to people and shaping their worldview, do it in respect and humility and curiosity and truthfulness, and you will, in a sense, slip a rock in their shoe. They'll walk away from conversations, not hating Christians, but actually wondering, you know what? I don't agree with so-and-so, but I had a pretty respectful conversation and I can at least see their arguments. And that's gonna be a rock in their shoe that will bother them. And maybe God will use that tiny pebble and change their hearts. So can we be messengers of the King in love and kindness and humility? Here's my big idea for today. <clears throat> Policies are important to protect human lives while the gospel is of utmost important, importance to save human souls. Don't get me wrong. Let's fight for good policies that protect justice and human life. Let's, let's, but also let's not forget that the gospel is of utmost importance. This saves human souls. The message of the king saves human souls. Let's not forget that. So what will you do with this precious, precious, precious message of the gospel? How will you live as a citizen of heaven during these tumultuous times? Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord, we come before you and we ask for your help. Lord, we know that you are king and we know that when this world opposes you in their policies and laws, we know that this does not bother you at all. You are sitting on your throne and you are laughing. You're not bothered at all. You're not laughing because you are trying to make fun of your enemies. In fact, you love your enemies so much that you sent King Jesus to die on the cross for sinful humans like you and me. Lord, may we carry this precious message with us um, and be a light to the darkness. Bless us in our spa group discussions tonight. Help us to turn on our cameras and to have fruitful discussion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay.